It was my final year in Porsche I was doing my last stint of night duty. I got a call from outpatients on this particular cold, foggy January night to say that there was a patient for admission and to prepare a cot for a boy of seven. It all started with this newspaper article I read a number of years ago. It was a story that I couldn't get out of my head. A story about a boy who was kept in a wooden drawer. Earlier this year, I was able to track down the person who wrote that article. Her name is Pearl, Pearl Finnegan. Night superintendent came to the paediatric unit with this little wriggling bundle in her arms and she said, this is the patient. And I discovered that the child may have been seven years in chronological age, but to look at the child, the child appeared to me as a three-year-old, a little boy with a head of black curls. So the mother came with sister and I placed the little boy in a steel cot and the mother was horrified that I was putting the child into a steel cot and I asked her why and she said how she had kept the child in a wooden drawer in her home since he was born. Like a coffin, she said. I ask Pearl if she can take me to meet the family who had kept their little boy in a drawer all those years ago, but that is impossible. She has had no contact with them now for over 40 years. Pearl brings me to meet another family, though. You have better eyes than me now. Look at my kitchen, my ashes not over for now. A house that's lived in. Don't be worrying about those marbles. No, I don't worry. If I didn't see ashes in the grate, I'd say nobody lives here. (laughs) Well, you'd normally have it cleaned out, but Sunday evening with them all coming and going... My house is pretty hectic. Yeah. <laughs> That's it now. This is the family that Pearl has brought me to meet. The parents are Margaret and Austin, and they're both aged in their mid-70s to early 80s. Their home is in a small town in North Galway. Austin is sitting at the kitchen table beside the range cutting a loaf of bread. Margaret is a strong woman for her age. She's making the tea. Do you want a copper, Dad? Pardon? Do you want a copper? She will have to give you a copper anyway. We're only talking about it if we didn't give you a cup. Pearl is no longer working as a nurse, but she's still involved in the work of caring. Today, Pearl is visiting Margaret's home for the first time. It's a warm Monday afternoon, and Pearl, Margaret, Austin and myself are gathered around the old family table. We got through the night. Went on at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. No, and I had one drink. Margaret is telling us about Austin's recent retirement due. 
I know Brandy and Port. Brandy and Port. No. Brandy and Port was the favourite tipple of the aristocracy. Is that right? And royalty. Oh yes, the always had their Brandy and Port. The reason that Pearl and I are visiting Margaret in Austin today is that 44 years ago, Margaret had a baby boy. He was her firstborn, and his name, Parry. I always thought that he was a lovely baby. He was my son. 44 years ago was about the same time that Pearl met Jimmy, the little boy who was kept in that wooden drawer. Jimmy and Parry were both born in County Galway, in an era of black and white. Life was much different back then, much harder. People often spoke out of the side of their mouths in secret and rumour, and nobody wanted to stand out for any reason. It was against this backdrop that Pearl first met Jimmy, the little boy who was kept in a drawer. I immediately realised that we had a severe and profoundly mentally handicapped child on our hands. Now, from the moment he came into the ward, he was screaming at the top of his voice, a high, piercing cry. And once he got into the cot, he started banging his head off the sides. Now, all of the other children, of course, woke up and there was turmoil in the unit for a short while. But then doctor came and he examined the child and he gave the child light sedation. So things quietened down very quickly. Yes, that, that's a night I will never forget. It was around the same time that Margaret became pregnant with her first child. When I became pregnant with Parry, I got very, very bad health. I used to be very sick. Do you remember that? Uh, mm-hmm. And Paddy was three, 10 weeks premature. And uh, I was in labour for 48 hours. And I had a very, very tough labour. And I had a raw forceps delivery with 19 stitches afterwards. I wasn't told right away that he was uh, handicapped. I wasn't told for... I'd say it must be about two weeks after I came home. The doctor said to me, he said that my son was going to, was severely retarded and that he wouldn't live very long, which was an awful shock to get. We went down to the incubator then and we went down to that room then where he was in the incubator. He had no nails in his fingers. No hair. He wasn't fully developed at all you know, to look at. But the nails grew. It was very... I can't remember exactly now what age he was. Very... He was a good age when he got a tooth and he must be four or five when he kind of stood up or even made an effort to move. His mobility wasn't very good. Still not 100% by any manner or means. But on my way up to Galway that day... I found that an awful dark cloud came over me and I didn't know what it was. But I knew after I was told in Galway that my son would never be normal, that he would be abnormal while he lived, but the longest he would live would be about, maybe it could be a week to ten weeks. 
and then he had a change, I suppose, for the better or something then after 10 weeks, and he went, that's it, seven years. But he's now 44. I hadn't a clue what retardation meant at the time. Uh, physically, yes, but not mentally. I didn't know what it would be like. Uh, I got by with it. It's as he got older then that I realised uh, the look on his face. And uh, now he never had slitted eyes, but uh, you would know that there was uh, something wrong as he came to six, seven months, that he wasn't a normal baby. And uh, I fed him. Looked after him. I, I said he was only uh, four pound two ounces when he was born. And very hard to wind. No, very little sleep, no sleep at all. I was getting none, and he was getting none. And we just kept going. Your back is against the wall. You do it or you don't do it. Time continued to pass, and Parry continued to grow. However, Jimmy, the little boy who was kept in the drawer, was less fortunate. His brief encounter with Pearl in the hospital lasted just 17 days. During his time with us, I noticed that Jimmy had no visitors. Neither father nor mother nor relatives called to inquire about Jimmy. Jimmy had very successful hernia uh, surgery and made a good recovery. And then it was time to go home. The telegram was sent and after three or four days no one came to bring Jimmy home. So we sent a second telegram. Nobody came to bring Jimmy home. So eventually Matron had to step into the scene and she said that the guard, the car, the Barry car would have to go out and bring the parents in. So the the Barry car was notified and a very kindly guard went out and collected the mother and brought her in to the hospital to collect Jimmy. I can still remember reading Pearl's article about Jimmy for the first time. Why? Because the image of a little boy trapped all alone in a dark wooden drawer haunted me. there was something more. Jimmy was rejected by his mother. Now, when the mother came into the ward and saw Jimmy, she immediately began to cry bitterly. And she told us that she had suffered seven years of agony and torture that she was totally tied to Jimmy everywhere she went, which wasn't very far in those days. Uh, she had to carry him on her back, doing her housework, doing work outside. She carried Jimmy round on her back. And when he was in the house, he was kept in a back room, locked away. Nobody knew about Jimmy except the local doctor and uh, the public health nurse. 
So she cried hysterically and told Matron that if she had to bring Jimmy home, she would commit suicide, literally rejecting her own flesh and blood. But I realised and understood the torment and agony she had gone through trying to rear this child without any support from the community and her husband, who had never really acknowledged Jimmy. This is Paris' room. You come in here and you see. It's the smallest room in the house and I think it's the most secure for him. And this is his bed, a bit upside down, but... It's the first visit for Pearl and myself to Margaret's home. What would you call it? Parry is away today. And they are his first socks and his first shoes. And Margaret is showing us the most important room in her house, Parry's bedroom. But I found this little room was more secure for him. You know, and I have his clothes left there and I can pull them to me as I want yes. them. And I have his nappies. They are now. Yes. It's a bit rough and ready, but those are but all old bits of sheets. That's the way it has to but be. They are a thing I need yes. for from time to time because there's times I might have to change that bed two and three times at night During if things night. wasn't. Well, if he was had a tummy upset or that, now I might have to change his bed maybe two night, twice, three times at night. You know, or if he had a vomit or whatever, mm, mm. you have to do it. Of course. Yes. And when I'm here with him at night, I sit down the bedside and I have oil and a rub oil on his feet and try and calm him down, put him back to rest. And it does help him. Yes. Uh, for once he was about six years, he was very, very troublesome. Up to that, he was kind of babyish, if you know what I mean. Mm. You were treating him as uh, 18 months old. I'd say his mental intelligence would be about two, two and a half years. I would never say he was vegetable. Now, Parry does know a certain amount of... To what extent, I don't know. And I don't think anybody could ever put a a right name on it. You know, yes. like what amount of intelligence he has. Mm. But that's what He's they like said. Oh. He knows when he wants a drink. He knows when he wants food. Now, when he's mm. thirsty, he keeps smacking his lips. That's. It the took sign. years to mm. find out what that meant. So you have devised a whole series of um, signs and symptoms yes. in order yeah. to clue into Barry's yes. needs. That's right. That's right, mm. yeah. There's no other way I can tell. And now, uh, at the beginning, you'd have to be checking him like you would a baby for changes and that kind of thing. You know, when he'd need changing. He's doubly incontinent. And But as he got bigger then, you see... He'll walk to an extent now and turn himself around when he needs a change. He'll do that now. Does he respond to music? No, never did. Because uh, my experience with the child in the hospital... That loved music. Um, ..whom I wrote the story about... Yes, yes, I saw He that responded your... all the time to music. Yes, yes. It was the only way we could 
calm him down and keep him quiet during his stay in hospital. Yeah. In the aisle yes. now and the aromatherapy type thing yes. is the only way I could ever calm him down with the hands and the feet. Mm. And you continue on with that for hours and in maybe during the night. I often sat in that bed and thought, well, the girls used to be going out to discourse then and that kind of thing. I thought, well, is there anybody out there like me? And again, I'd have a second thought, well, there must be. I'm not the only person. The one thing about it is, I have to be very thankful it never got me down. Thanks be to God for that. My husband was very supportive and often a helpful work can take you along more than the actual work. That's right. Encouragement. 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 Yes. A couple of weeks later, Pearl and myself returned to Margaret's home. This is Parry today. Some of my procedures. He's 44, just over four foot in height, wearing a blue jumper, slightly stooped. And he walks awkwardly. Sit down here now, and I'll put on your shoes. Sit down now, and I'll put on your shoes. Now, Pally. You're a mighty man, now, Pally. The other foot now, Pally. Come on, goodbye. Come on, Pally. Up here now, Pally. the good lad. Goodbye. Goodbye, Pally. Now, that's on wrong now, Pally. That's nothing unusual. When Margaret looks at Parry, she sees her son, a person, a living being who needs care and love. Margaret is lucky. She never suffered from shame or guilt, but back in 1960s Ireland, not everybody dealt with mental handicap in the same way. Jimmy and his parents had a much different relationship. As Jimmy's mother unraveled her story to Pearl, on that cold January night in the early 1960s, she didn't speak of joy or happiness, only shame and guilt. She was crying bitterly. She described clearly to us her life from the moment that she realised Jimmy was profoundly mentally handicapped. 
they decided, the husband and wife decided that they would have to keep this child, but that they would hide the child away in a darkened room so that no one would know about the child. The husband came to reject the child and would not recognise the child. So she was left with the burden of rearing this child in the best way she could. Nobody offered her advice. She was totally reliant on her own instincts. She told us that she had kept the child in a darkened room all those years. On one occasion, when the farm work had to be done outside, she strapped the child onto her back and brought him out into a back field where she was going to spread slits. But the child's cries were so piercing and his movements were so violent on her back that she was afraid that he would attract attention from people working in the fields around. So she very quickly made her way back into the house and back into the darkened room. And that was the one and only occasion, she told us, that she was able to bring the child outside the house. I think in rural Ireland at that time, uh, fear and ignorance and guilt were very, very strong emotions pertaining to that time. So to have a child born into a family with mental handicap was one of the worst possible things that could happen to a family because, in a sense, it denoted some type of guilt or shame in the sense that the family was being punished for some unknown reason. So rural people who may have suffered a little more through fear and ignorance from their more enlightened, in inverted commas, neighbours in the towns and cities, uh, they would have felt uh, the problem so much more. Looking at Margaret and Austin and the way they were able to accept and deal with Parry and his handicap, it would appear that they were more brave or more courageous not to hide Parry away, to allow him to live a full family life with the rest of his his siblings, his three sisters, and a father and mother who had no sense of guilt or shame about him. This is where Jimmy and Parry's lives are vastly different. Somewhere along the way, their lives went down opposite paths, And on that cold January night in the early 1960s, Jimmy's mother chose his path, a path that eventually broke her heart. When she told us that she couldn't possibly bring the child home, that while he was with us, it was the first break from the nights, from the sleepless nights that she had had, and that she couldn't face into that uh, lifestyle again. So I'll always remember her. She dropped to her knees and she grabbed Matron tightly around the knees and she begged of her 
not to let the child home. So Matron had a huge decision to make. She was now faced with a situation where she could have a potential suicide case on her hands. Was she willing to take that chance? She knew the woman had no support from her husband or her local community. So Matron's decision was that the child could possibly be accommodated in St. Bridget's Psychiatric Hospital, which was just across the River Sock in Banisloe. So when Matron told the mother that she did not have to bring the child home, that she had arranged for the child to be taken into St. Bridget's, yes, the mother was so relieved. And we dried her tears. And it was usual in Portiancola at that time. We were great people for tea and toast. So we served her tea and toast before she left with our little fellow. So after a short while, mother and little Jimmy went with Matron to the Garda car. And they were transferred to St. Bridget's. Now, Jimmy had come to us under the cover of darkness and he was now leaving us under the cover of darkness. But after two years, Jimmy died. Two years later, Jimmy's mother died. And that, in a sense, was the end of the episode with that particular family for me. Today, Pearl's heart is still close to Jimmy. And that's why she wrote the newspaper article after so many years. The reason why Jimmy's story stuck in my head so much is that when I was a little baby, I was given away for adoption by a woman who didn't want me. Maybe Jimmy's soul is somewhere over the rainbow now. Who knows? Last time that Pearl and I visit Margaret, it's about tea time. You can stop from talking, Pearl, while you're eating. Uh, Sometimes I don't have time to stop uh, and I have so much to say. Two of Parry's sisters and their children are on one of their regular visits to give Margaret a hand with Parry. He loves that now. He loves his, um, he loves his fruit. And often give him a Guinness, you know, or a glass of wine or whatever we're having ourselves, you know, after dinner. Everything, as you see, has to be liquidised from dinner and tea and everything. 
chops through it. Come on, that's a good boy. I want to shave at all today, he said yet. No power. Because he likes his tidbit in between, you think. Don't you, Pally? I love my bit in a fruit, he said. Mama, do we give me all the little tidbits? But every one of them, every one of the family always worked around uh, Perry, you know, and every one of them took their place in doing what had to be done with them. Even Shane, now, can if Perry is banging his head, he knows what to do, he can stop him. What age is Shane? He's four. Oh, he's three. He'll be four next part. He's right into this month, he's four. You can't predict him now, you say. <laughs> no, he's three. We got that now, Shane. <laughs> you know, just being brought up with them, I suppose. That's what it is all about. Now, Paddle, we'll go into the room and we'll have a, have a little shave. How's the water for the bath now? Yeah, I feel the bath, but I bring Perry in for you, ma'am. Just bring him in to shave. Parry and Jimmy were both born in the same era, within about 60 miles of each other. Jimmy died alone at the age of nine. Why? Because his mum gave him away. I wonder, did Margaret, Parry's mother, ever consider giving him away? Did you ever think about giving Parry away? Oh, God, no. Oh, why would you ask me that? Why would you ask me that? Oh, God, God, no. I wouldn't dream of letting Parry into full-time care. Don't mind anything else. While I, there's a puff of breath in my body to do it. I like the brakes. Oh, I do, I like the brakes, all right. At this age of my life, I do, yeah. Oh, God, no, no. So, uh, no, I was never, never felt that way about it, that I was ashamed of him or anything like that, never, ever. That was the one thing I never was. I always thought that he was a lovely baby. He was my son. And it was lovely. And the, today I think the same thing. That never that never bothered me. I know of people that had retarded children afterwards and couldn't cope. But no, it never happened that way to me. That's why I say uh, the Lord puts weight on the shoulders that can carry it. In most cases. In mine anyway, I'm talking about myself. I was always very pleased with Parry, always brought him out and it was a house where everybody came in here, all the neighbours and everyone took him and took him up like any baby and patted him and pleased him and fed him and the kids next door would feed him and bring him out and all I was afraid of, that they wouldn't be able to treat him, you know, as a normal baby. Do you know what I mean? They might let him fall or think that he could walk and run and that kind of thing. That was the 
excuse me, the only fears I used to have. That the children that was grown up with them, you know, I'd have to watch him. Because if they went out, they'd catch him by the hands and they'd be wanting him to run like they were running. But I knew he couldn't do that. Today, Parry attends the McIntyre Respite Centre, near his home for about 14 days a month. Margaret would prefer to have Parry at home with her all the time. But now age is taking its toll, and her health isn't always the best. The only fear that she and her husband have now is for Parry's future. Some years down the road, when you uh, <coughs> and, and Avi would be gone home to God, have you any idea in your mind uh, what you would like for Parry? Would you envisage a member of the family looking after him and giving him all the kisses and the hugs and the pats that he has enjoyed with you here? Or will you be willing to allow him to spend his last years, if you leave him behind, in a place like Makatar? I have plans made, all right. Mm-hmm. But while I'm able to look after him, he'll be here. And the plans I have made will be for whoever has this house will be carrying on the same way as I have carried on with them. Hopefully, that's the way I want it. The person in this home will be the person responsible for Parry. So it's very hard to say with people who are married and having their own family. That's right. You know, it's a... Let's be realistic about it. They have their own families. Their own families will come first. And a huge responsibility. And it's a huge responsibility, yeah. Mm. So, like, that's the way I'm... My case is as straightforward as I can put it at the minute. But I always pray to God that God will take him before myself. Mm. Now, the ways of God is not... My ways, yeah. They're wiser. And uh, we'll have to take it whatever way he thinks. Now, if there is no other place for him, but McIntyre, I would prefer him there to any other place. And what they will, the only thing that they will be missing then will be the love and cuddles and kisses of their parents. Want to let go? That's uh, maybe I'm selfish. No, you're a loving, concerned bird. But I, it's the one thing I don't like to talk about the last. Yes, yes. I've been going. Of course. I knew it was there, it has to come. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was prayed to be gone before me. Well, the parting hopefully is a long time away yet. Yeah. I hope I'll be able to look after them for a while yet. You will. Yeah, I hope so. Mm.
You read you have a fighting spirit and great courage. I always feel comfortable when he's in the house with me. Yes. <coughs> now, when I took him home from the last time, I wasn't well myself either. And uh, I still felt when he was in the house, he was near me, and I could talk to him and do what I wanted with him. Yes. You know? Even though I was sick myself, I, I felt I could, that he understood and that I understood him. Yes. And we understood each other. And you want more nature for them than any of the rest of your family because all your other family is able to go out and talk for themselves, do their own thing. Like you were able to go out now, a young boy, and do your own job. Parry would never be able to do that, or people that was a lot better than Parry wouldn't be able to go on. We knew from the beginning he'd never be able to... <laughs> do for himself or drive his own car or have anything like the rest of them. The one thing I often wonder, what would he be like now if he was normal? I never knew what it was to go easy when I went out shopping. How to take my time when I shopping, I go in like that, went to Pennies and Tons and look at clothes and be fitting them on and all that kind of thing. I never knew what that was. I went and grabbed what I wanted and came home. I couldn't do that. I never had that kind of life. I never knew what it was. I never had... That's why I find it hard to relax. I find it very hard to relax. I'd have idle hands. I wouldn't know what to do with them. Or the amount of work that they used to do all day between washing them and changing them and shaving them and feeding them. They were idle hands. But as I got older, they got slower. <laughs> and they do, they do like a rest from time to time now. This is the last time that Pearl and I visit Parry's home. I could never have known when I read the story about the boy who was kept in a drawer that it would lead me to meet such an incredible woman as Margaret. I could have a son born, he could grow up, he could have caused me awful problems, one way or another, accident, maybe went out the road, had drink, killed somebody in the road or something, you never know what happens, you don't know what. Sadness, Pally brought me no sadness, other than looking after him. He never brought me a minute's hardship apart from looking after him. Never caused me any oh, awful worry like you'd say it was. Yeah. Mm. Or heartaches, no. Yeah. No. All a joy. Yeah. People said to me, like, many one came to me and said, like, even a missioner said it to me here one day, it was raining and he was in here looking and he was talking to Paddy. And I had to go up with him. There was a big shower, there was a mission on up in the church. And uh, he said, it's an awful cross. I was surprised because, like, I, I did say to him, maybe I was nasty with him. I said, I don't think it's a cross. I think it's a blessing. God sent an angel somewhere. He's an angel. He's a pure saint, Pally. Yes. He has to be. Well, Margaret, it has been a real pleasure 
first of all in meeting you and of course above all that you are willing to tell your story as you've told it here to yeah. us. Well my story is true and it's as it was. It was a rough, tough journey. But I got by. I knew no different. So the story has brought us together yeah. in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Hello.